This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. Hello, everybody. Josh here. Welcome back to Deadset Podcasting. Today is part one of my conversation with the head of product development for sound devices, Paul Isaacs. Absolute champion guy. He was a really funny dude. And you won't hear a lot of it because I was kind of laughing away in the background. I didn't want to leave in too much of my little girly fanboy laughing. But as I've said in the past, my MixPre 6 Series 1, which is a sound devices recorder and interface, is probably still my favorite piece of audio gear, including 20 years of buying music equipment before starting to podcast. It's still probably my favorite thing that I've ever purchased for audio. So this is a really exciting episode for me to get to talk to one of the people that led to the product that helped bring what my favorite piece of podcasting equipment into reality. So there was a few bits of new technology towards the end of this episode that I wasn't expecting to hear about, and Paul and I do go into that a little bit. So I've actually made this a two-parter, so that will be a standalone episode in the next episode. You get to hear about a few things from sound devices you might not actually know exist more software-oriented sorts of solutions that may help you as a podcaster. So I did want to have that 40 minutes into an episode, so that will come in the next week. But this is part one. We talk about the creation of the MixPre range sound devices as a company and just what makes them special and why people like me that have struggled to tell the difference sometimes in the past between this piece of gear and that piece of gear and why does that cost this and why is that twice as expensive, why it's so obvious that you're getting an amazing device with sound devices, okay? If you want to support the show, thanks to the people that are, even just the feedback I've been receiving recently about the improved sound of the studio or whatever it is, I really appreciate that. You can go to deadsetpodcasting.com slash support. There's a buy me a coffee button there. I do need a coffee. I always need more coffees. That helps. And as I said before, it keeps this pirate ship afloating. So... This is Paul Isaacs from Sound Devices. Awesome dude, fantastic accent. And yeah, here we go. You're listening to Dead Set Podcasting with your host, Josh Liston. This is a show dedicated to podcasting in Australia, New Zealand, and Southeast Asia. Follow along with today's episode over at deadsetpodcasting.com. Okay, here we go. Welcome back, everybody. I'm really excited today. I've got the Director of Product Design from Sound Devices on today, Paul J. Isaacs. I've been wanting to speak to Paul for a couple of years across different shows, finally made it happen, and he's made the time for me during his workday. <laughs> for me, it's very early in the morning, so welcome to Deadset Podcasting, Paul. Thanks for having me, Joshua. It's not early in the morning for me. It's sort of... Uh... It's getting time. It's almost time for beer here. It's four o'clock in the it's four o'clock in the afternoon. Wow! So. I don't know how well you know Australian people in general, but seven a.m. is probably almost beer time for us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do know them very well. I spent quite a bit of time in that part of the world. Well, pr- primarily in New Zealand, actually. I lived there for four years, but uh, spent a lot of time cruising around Aussie land as well. So yeah, I've always wanted to spend a lot of time in New Zealand, which at the moment is pretty tough, but. I wouldn't mind being there, actually. Tough because they're letting no one in because of the whole COVID scenario. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually had a couple of... This is how this show works, Paul. We don't get on the podcasting sometimes. Quite often there's divergences. I actually had 
I think, two holidays booked to New Zealand or in the process, one for the South and one for the North Island. Uh-huh. And obviously there, I mean, not that anyone listening to this doesn't have the same predicament. They can't go anywhere, but yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. well, hopefully you'll get out there um, at some point soon. Hopefully this whole thing will be over. And it's a, it's a beautiful country, New Zealand. Uh, obviously a lot smaller than Australia, so you can get to see a lot of it in a fairly short space of time. So Yeah, that sounds exciting. Pardon yeah. me, I did explain to Paul that I've got early morning voice, so he's going to get punished as a- well as the audience. <laughs> Have you had a cup of coffee yet? Usually that helps. I've had that, but I think, to be honest, I've never actually raced this with anybody. I think that I might have a slight intolerance to milk, only to the point that it actually kind of globs up my throat for a while after I have a coffee, so I probably shouldn't have, to be honest, but I did. (laughs) So Black coffee works. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I probably should have done that. You wake up at 5.30 in the morning and the brain doesn't work too well. So let's get on to sound devices. That's why... That's why people are here today. Okay. So I own a Mix Pre 6 Generation 1, and mm-hmm. I'm a classic gear nerd. I've got everything under the sun, and it's still my single favorite piece of equipment I've ever bought, and that includes probably 20-plus years of buying music equipment. It's right up there with my Soldano SLO 100 guitar amp. Wow. I'm, I'm very... um flattered by that comment joshua um it's it's really nice to uh hear that mix pre is, is uh is such a a product that can be used for so many different things it can become quite a a major part of your life in, in terms of all the things you do audio so to be quite honest i mean i've got every single sound devices product plus a whole bunch more as well and i use it literally for everything i mean i'm sure you're using yours now right just to break the fourth wall, I was actually running probably a little bit on the line this morning and I didn't want to deconstruct this studio just to bring the mix pre in, even though I knew that I should. It's actually set up as my interface in my mixing office just because the ins and outs are so handy. So I'm yeah. just running a different recorder here, which, yeah, I shouldn't be, but I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm running my mix pre, uh, running this for a mix pre 10 right now, mix pre 10 too, so. Can we just go back to the start of, the conversations that led to the mix pre because obviously it's something that's perfect for podcasting whether you're in the studio or in the field doing face-to-face interviews or even collecting sounds for your show was it a podcast centric conversation to start with or was it just about having an entry point for people into a premium device because from what i remember of your previous conversations that i've heard before Sound devices may have always sat in a different price point to the Mix Pre. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right there. Before, really, before the Mix Pre came uh, into existence, which well, it's got to be about three. The first generation came out about three years ago. I think I got mine in January four, 2018. Maybe four years. Yeah, yeah, it's it's gone by so fast. So yeah, the Mix Pre did represent the first sub call it a sub $1,000 mixer recorder that we ever developed. Um, we're known pr- primarily for high end uh, portable mixer recorders, which are used in uh, high end uh, film production, broadcast and uh, TV applications. So, you know, I guess the reason why we were very keen to bring out the mix pre series is because we were starting to see that there's a lot more content being created out there you know whether it be from 
videographers, YouTubers, podcasters, uh, musicians, you know, like there's so much more opportunity now for users um, to create material. And we were, we were thinking, well, why don't we bring what we're famous for to that wider audience? And can we do it at a price point which would enable that wider audience to get into it? Because, I mean, our cheapest products were a couple of grand, much higher than that, even yeah. <laughs> from 2K all the way up to 8K, you know, so which is beyond, you know, the reaches of most people. So, yeah, we, we thought, well, can we do this? Can we bring out um, a sub $1,000 type of product mixer recorder that doesn't that doesn't sacrifice the audio quality that sound devices is famous for and not only that the the build quality you know we're not into plasticky type chassis or anything like that which you know if you drop that that's game over and you have to buy a new one we're we're all about you buy product for life and it's got to sound good and it's got to feel good and it's got to be resilient to many environments so we that was the basis of it and you know podcasters were obviously very much part of that audience as i mentioned youtubers as well musicians videographers as well as say more lo lower budget type production sound mixes um sound designers uh sound effects capture and all that sort of stuff so the starting point was can we do this with great mic preamps and good build quality and we sat down and um we have an incredibly talented um, analog preamp designer who just happens to be the CEO of the company. <laughs> uh, that's how the company started. So Matt Anderson, who's the CEO of the company, he sat down to see if he could do that. And he did. He achieved that great uh, quality mic preamps at a acceptable price, actually very good value price. And then we had uh, our team of mechanical engineers see what they could do to bring, you know, that robustness, that great build quality to um, at a price as well. So, yeah, we, we frequently get asked the question, how have you managed to create such a great quality product at the price? What are you skimping on? What compromises have you made? And, like, there must be something wrong with this. That know? was my only reservation. Obviously, when you, we're speaking in US dollars today, obviously in Australia, the device, I think, when I paid for it was on release, I think it was about 1700 And for me, it didn't feel like a huge amount of money compared to the hand-built Les Paul that I've got or the Soldano <laughs> or the Bad Cat amplifier that I owned and the Bad Cat cabinets that are all thousands and thousands of dollars. But as far as recorders go, it was a, a super premium price in Australian dollars. And I thought to myself, still, it's so much more affordable than things that sound devices have done before. What are they skimping on? And I've been digging into this thing for three years for all the applications I use it for. There was no skimping. So how did you do it? Well, a lot of it comes down to uh, many years of design experience. Many being you know, 20 or 30? or Yeah, I mean, we're 20... 1998 22 years of experience and it's a sort of experience it's a sort of thing that only a company with many years of experience in design and production and manufacturer can pull off we wouldn't have been able to pull this off even 10 years ago we weren't ready for this but we are ready now also sort of obviously the advances in modern technology especially with components has enabled us to pull this off as well 
but you know also it's basically it's about the the difficult design decisions what do you leave out um, that you can leave out that is going to reduce the cost you know and if you compare you know the mix pre to our higher end professional products there are a vast number of differences here you can for instance uh in terms of just the software features although having said that the mix pre in many ways is in many areas is the match of our higher end equipment but it's it's more in the physical aspects like uh, the the chassis design the number of input and output connectors i mean not so much the input but if you look at our higher end equipment we we have a much greater range of output functionality and connectors which is really important with high-end productions they almost need more outputs than they need inputs you know because they're feeding signal off to so many different areas in a production so many crew members need a feed so that becomes like a big point you know things like ability to recall to multi three media at once we didn't have that in the mix pre series you know you can only record to one media at a time yes we do have the ability to do an automatic background copy to a little usb thumb drive plugged into the usb port it's not quite the same as real time recording to three media well it's different it's sort of there's a little bit of lag at the end of recording but not much so there's multiple there's multiple different areas where we go no this is reserved for the high end and but let's be careful where we compromise on the on the mix because we don't want to make comp- compromise where it becomes like oh unusable now if you if you for instance go on our website and you go to the mix pre pages and you go to the firmware page and you look at the history of mix pre features you can see that the the range of features and possibilities are almost endless i don't know of any product which comes close in its uh, flexibility right now look i just sorry to cut you off paul i've asked sure. a question that has plagued me from the day I started podcasting, and that is, can I record with a panned signal but monitor that signal in mono so my guests don't get, they're like, oh, I come out of one ear, but when you speak, it's in the other ear. That's really disorienting. I think I got an email back within 24 hours from your team saying, well, that feature's actually in there. You can record with your pan, but then you can do a sub-mix as your main monitor mix as a mono signal which means if you're running out to a single headphone splitter, you don't have certain people that are mixed to the left in their left ear. I mean, it might sound like something small, but I've seen in the real world, which is what I love about the Mix Pre, it feels like it's built from the real world perspective of how do we help people in the real world not put 300 features in there you would never use. Yeah, But something so like that is, it seems so small, but as someone that's done hundreds of in-person interviews... It was a lifesaver for me because people didn't feel right. like they were they didn't feel like they were doing an interview because it wasn't bouncing from side to side. Yeah, well, it's it's great that you did pick up on that, and and you're absolutely right. That whole output mixing and, and and individual mixes for different outputs and headphone outputs, all of that stuff has come from our higher end equipment, and we brought it to the mix pre. Yes, you might have fewer physical outputs to make all these mixes. I mean, if you look at our eight, our top of the range eight series right now, I think we have like about <laughs> 50 different outputs, yeah. but on the mix pre six, for instance, and the mix pre three, 
we have the four outputs plus the USB outputs, and we haven't even spoken about USB right now. Yeah. Um, but you have the four analog outputs, and each of those outputs, as you say, can be configured with totally individual mixes of all the different input channels, either pre or post fade, which gives you this great sort of flexibility. Um, and and then you've got all the same functionality for all the individual USB outs, and which becomes like a particularly useful feature for podcasting, uh, where you need to create mix minuses and the like. You know. Yeah, exactly. Can we just talk a little bit, Paul, just to finish up on the development of the product? How how many podcasters had their hands on this device before it actually became public? Because it's the only device to me that didn't that was missing something important that wouldn't have been missed if they had have had it in the hands of real users and the only thing i can think of off the top of my head was putting markers putting markers in which right. which you guys already i think had on the roadmap anyway as part of a firmware update but for example i'll give an, and this is not to throw dispersions at the device but the roadcaster pro has it does not have combo jacks so if you're using an off-board processor and you want to upgrade to that device, you can't actually run line level into the mic input of the device. So it's only got a single XLR. Just say I'm using my DBX286 and I've got a sound I'm happy with. If I was to buy that device, I would, pl- I would like to be able to, as I can with most inter- USB interfaces, in- including the MixPre, I can just run a line level into that. Right. You, you can't do that with that device. And that to me shows a sign of not having it in the hands of real users. Sorry, just so that I understand your question there, you're saying that the Roadcaster didn't have that ability? It doesn't. So, the so actual hardware input is mic. Oh, there's XLR no line mic. There's no actual quarter-inch line level. Ah. I mean, I'm sure there's <laughs> yeah. a way you could do it, but it right. doesn't have a native. You just want to plug a balanced TRS cable in there, like I do on every other interface. And that to right. me is not like that wouldn't have been missed if it had been in the hands of more people, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's um, when obviously when you're developing a, a new product, it's very important that you do a lot of background research, you know, obviously, because to develop a product, you're talking millions of dollars. It's not something you just dive into blindly <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and go, stick your finger up in the air and go, oh, I hope people like this. Um, because, uh, you know, that would be a very expensive mistake, a big enough one to put your company out of business entirely. So obviously, we do a huge amount of research. Um, we've got a lot of uh, talented people within the company who understand different markets. Uh, but we also have a lot of users out there who we talk to a lot to get feedback on sort of what they're looking for in particular scenarios. So yeah, when we develop something, we obviously look at other players, other other manufacturers and competitors in those fields to find out what they're doing and where we can improve upon those areas and bring higher quality, better feature set, all those things. So yeah, there's a lot of research that goes into this. Do we speak to people? Yes, but do we specific? We have to be very careful in this day and age because we're in such a competitive landscape, more so than ever. Um, you know, ten years ago, there were many, there were much fewer companies involved in product development but now there's more because it's a bit cheaper to get into but yeah we um we have to be careful we talk very very discreetly to only very few trusted sources um but you can count them literally on a few fingers of one hand 
we, we don't go out doing like these big, um, you know, feedback sort of gathering exercises in public. No, but yeah, of course we go out there. So hopefully we get it right. And sometimes, you know, that, for instance, that one example you brought up of old cue markers, you know, why wasn't that there in the first release? I well, mean, I don't care at all. It didn't, I don't use them. I think the, I think yeah. that they're something that don't get used as much as people think, but there, you know, these products now, all these products that we bring out there, they all have the capability to have their software updated to add new features. We've been doing that for years, absolutely years and years and years, going back 20 years, offering new features as the product goes. And that makes the users feel like they've got a product they can grow with. You know, and that means that sometimes, you know, when we launch the product, we obviously ensure there's a good core foundation of functionality to enable the markets we're marketing to, to fulfill their job. But sometimes uh, there, there's the second tier of functionality, which we know we're going to do along the roadmap, but they come after first release. If, if we waited till every possible feature imaginable could um, was completed before <laughs> we released the product, we'd never, we'd never ever release the product. Yeah. So. I think that the creator of the Axe Effects, which is a guitar effects unit that was incredibly popular about 10 years ago and continues to be, I think that was their ethos because they hadn't tested and basically you could profile amplifiers even before the Kemper profiler came out, which is even more oriented to doing that. The Axe Effects didn't have every single amplifier ever created. I'm assuming Paul being an audio person understands these brands that I'm talking about, but they were getting criticised for not having a Dumble. This is, a, I think it's a $100,000 US amp that only a couple of people in Nashville still own that works. They were being criticised because they didn't go and profile those amps. Like right. Sometimes you just got to release the thing. Yeah, it's, impo- it's impossible to do everything, even Apple. I mean, look, with their iPhones, the company with the largest engineering resource in, in the land today, even Apple, they don't spin out all the features that everyone wants. They they get dribbled out in even new versions of hardware or new iOS releases. It affects everyone. Yeah. Um, at some point, you have to put a flag, draw a line in the sand, saying this is our release, our our release product, and this we're not going to. This is how we're going to sell it. Um, people users can see what the functions are and what it does, and if it doesn't do those things, as, provided we didn't misadvertise and state that they do yeah. those things and that's the key so do you mind if we talk paul about what are the core features and the things that the things that were more evident in the mix pre because of the quality of the device that you delivered i think everyone's always thought get something with good preamps with a, a large dynamic range with a low noise level with some kind of limiting in there that's natural which you guys do better than anyone i've ever heard but it wasn't until i owned the mix pre and I've been in studios recording guitars and vocals and not so much me, but I've been there when it's been happening. I've always just done the guitar. Yeah. I've never actually been able to tell the difference between this preamp, like actually hear it without trying to hear it. I didn't even need to listen for the preamp difference between, I think that I might have had a Roland and a Zoom and some other devices laying around at the time that I've since gotten rid of, but it was so noticeable when I got the mix pre because... I didn't have to do much in post-production to my voice for it to sound like me as a human. They were so transparent and there was so much of my voice in there, all of the frequencies in a tasteful way, that I thought, ah, you actually can tell the difference between a preamp when it's as good 
as the one in this mix pre. <laughs> like that that's obviously something you've when you said earlier that you wanted to bring the quality of sound devices. Is there anything you guys are known for in the hardware side of your units as much maybe to the podcast world as the preamps? Or is that something you're most known for regardless, the preamps? Because they are magical. Well, I think it's definitely a key reason why we've, um, we're, we're, we're well regarded as our preamps. Are. The, the mix pre-preamps are a brand new design. There's very little in common with uh, our preamps before the mix pre. We call them cashmere. <laughs> Good name, uh, because Led we're all, Zeppelin. Because <laughs> we're all Led Zeppelin fans, uh, and they sound smooth, just like a cashmere cardigan. <laughs> it, works, it works on many levels. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah, I mean, why do they sound uh, – I mean, better is obviously a very subjective world. Where do you hear no, that? It's not subjective in this case. They they are just – they do just sound better. Sorry. <laughs> it's not really well, – yeah. to me, it's a purely objective. They just sound better. They they really do capture the full subtleties and the full range of the qualities of what mic you're using, and they do not colour that. I mean, obviously, the the two. If you're talking about technical specs, yes, we probably exceed most technical specs on the market from even multi thousand dollar mic preamp boxes you find in studios. So you're looking at um, uh, noise floors of minus 131, minus 130, 131 equivalent input noise. And then, so the noise floor is, is invisible, essentially. Even if you take a recording into your door and you boost a signal by 50, 60 dBs, you are still not going to hear the noise floor of the mic preamp. So you can be guaranteed that the preamp itself, the cashmere mic preamp, is not going to add any more noise than, than is already there coming from the microphone. Um, so that's one key thing. And the other, obviously, very important thing is the um, maximum input level that a mic preamp can handle before it distorts. And again, I think the maximum uh, uh, input level is uh, something like about, from my head, 12 plus 12 dBU, which is actually quite a hot line level signal, let alone mic signal. Yeah, yeah. So you can, uh, you would have, have to have a microphone placed next to a rocket at NASA to get to sort of that sort of <laughs> <laughs> level. So, so I mean, we, we our mic preamp is virtually invisible from a noise floor perspective and virtually, I'm not going to say impossible to distort, but you'd be really hard pushed to, 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 to overdrive it. So once you have these two technical specs, that, that accounts for your super wide dynamic range. And the, the, but it's not just about those tech specs. It is about the way you, you handle that audio through the signal path, the mic preamp signal path. And we do not, many of uh, the budget uh, recorder manufacturers use off-the-shelf ICs um, and op amps for their preamps, um, which are, they're good. Yeah, you know, they're, they're fine. They do a job, you know, just put them in, tweak them a little bit and they, they sound okay. They do a job. But if you, if you're talking about this next level where you can really hear the difference of a excellent preamp, you really have to design it discreetly. And that's what we've done. We use a class, a discrete design, which is a differential input pair, 
where everything's really tightly balanced um, using the highest quality uh, transistor and FET configurations. And it's basically, you know, going back to uh, Matt Anderson, uh, the CEO and analog preamp designer for our company, it all comes down to his vast experience. I mean, he's been designing preamps now since he was a kid, probably for 40 years. There's very few people like him around there who still understand analog to that level. And I think that's what makes that's what really makes the difference. I think the thing too is that you guys haven't compromised on the analog to digital converter or the headphone amplifier or any, anything that could give you an imperfect picture of the sound that you're creating. You guys have dealt with that. Basically, it's an end-to-end solution. I'm glad you brought that up, Joshua, because people so often just think about mic preamps, mic preamps. Yeah. But if you're on location, you need to be the hear the full quality spectrum of that of that sound source. And to, so you can't compromise on the headphone preamp. And I tell you, the headphone preamps on these things, I can listen to music all day. I can mix for hours upon hours upon hours without getting fatigued. It's the best sounding headphone preamp that I have personally come across. And not only is that just because it has an incredible amount of volume, <laughs> but but it's just... <laughs> dangerously so. Yeah, dangerously <laughs> so. Like, you wouldn't want to accidentally bump it, which I've done a few times thinking I was playing with a different knob. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but the, they're so clean that that's the thing. Like, you can have a great preamp. And one, I remember there was a line of, I think it might have been Behringer mixes that had incredible preamps. But as soon as you started to turn them up, if you're using a headphone out or running it into a computer, I think that because the components from the preamp onwards were not of as high a quality as the preamp, they were basically pointless because they were being affected and coloured by all of these other things that, particularly when you're out and about, like Paul said, there's going to be environmental noise and there's other sound in the sound already. You don't want to be adding even more colour and more digital noise or whatever it is that you're adding to it just because you've got crappy components. Yeah, I mean, one thing that um, it's important for, you know, those in the market for an audio, a portable audio recorder, I mean, companies prioritise different things. Uh, you know, as I've said from the start of this conversation, we prioritise audio quality as our top thing and, you know, mic print quality and headphone quality because at the end of the day, you're buying something like this because you want something to sound good. Other companies, some other companies, I would say probably prioritize how long it can record for on a set of batteries. And the, the, law, the, law, the laws of physics says you don't get something for nothing. If you want really powerful headphone preamp with great full frequency response and you want great preamps, you do have to throw more power at them. There, there's no there's no shortcut. To that. If a manufacturer tells you, yeah, we do that as well, yeah, th- th- there's going to be some trade-offs there. Now, so you will probably find that some other manufacturers get better battery duration. Not that our battery life is bad, as it's still good. I mean, if you you can power our devices all day, we, we've got powering options where you can power our devices all day, no problem. But yeah, I use a USB-C, a super premium USB-C block, block with a yeah. – it's got a, one of the outputs is super high output, and I plug it into that, and the mix free tells me – it's all green, good to go. And if I plug it into the other one, which I think might only be 15 watts, it tells me that it, it comes up as orange. 
basically to let me know we can record, but we can't do all the functions. Yeah, which even yeah, just those so kind of signifiers are helpful when it comes to powering options. We have other powering options as well, as you know, like lithium battery, lithium ion batteries, AA nickel metal hydrides, all that stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, that is a company choice. So, you know, if, if uh, it's something that uh, a consumer or someone in the market should consider, what's more important to me, battery life or audio quality? You know, and when I say we focus on audio quality, it means we're not forgetting about battery quality. That's still very important to us and battery duration. And we still do some very clever things to get good battery life out of the box. But, but um, yeah. So with the mix Pro, Paul, can I just ask, yeah. how have podcasters been to work with? Because we all have microphones and we all like to talk and we all think we know everything about everything. What's As a group, <laughs> how have podcasters been to deal with post the release and obviously now there's a mix pre series two which i personally don't have i don't honestly i'm pretty sure that the mix pre series one is going to outlive me as a content creator so for me it's i'm never going to replace that unless it, some, someone steals it pretty much or i lose it so you know podcaster you know podcasting is like pretty much a new market for us that the mix pre opened us up to and i have to say we thoroughly enjoy our interactions with the podcast and community globally. I mean, we've, I mean, I can say this I, without a doubt that virtually every, no, every podcaster we've ever spoken to, they're just super nice people. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I've yet to, I've, I've yet to meet one who's like really not just really nice to talk to. And, and we can have a great two way conversation with, even you know, if it comes to um, a question of a missing feature or something like that, it's always a very pleasant engagement. You know, we've we've been learning since we brought out the Mix Pre. You know, we have learned a lot from podcasts. We got a huge amount of feedback, and I think we've done um, a lot to answer those requests and put the, them in as features. I can rattle off many of these features that podcasters have asked for that are now inside either the Mix Pre 1 or the Mix Pre 2. Is there one that really sticks out to you before we move on? Well, I think one of the um, big things was um, the whole Mix Minus thing, especially with the US, because because the Mix Pre's can be used as multi-channel uh, USB audio interfaces and with all this um, webcasting and podcasting that's going on, the need to be able to do all sorts of clever routing of local contributors on microphones and, and routing them to different destinations and have remote sources come in and have them routed to different feeds. And we, we were a little bit limited in what we could do with that in the first releases. But since then, I think it was version six i think that might have been back at the beginning of this year well certainly over six months ago we introduced a fully featured input and output sort of usb routing matrix so for instance now with your mix pre six uh, where you're an eight in to a computer right you can now route anything you like in any mixes, individual channel sources, anything you like, in any combination, pre or post fade, to any of those eight USB audio streams, and obviously get full back. Now, this um, really means it's in, that there's no way you could be limited in what 
<laughs> I think people are having to use that bit of software on on a Mac. What's it called? Um, probably Loopback or Audio Hijack. Loopback. Yeah, or probably both. They're both by Rogue Amoeba, same companies. That's right. I mean, they're great bits of software. I, I use them myself now. But uh, yeah, does that matrix poll does that exist within the unit as a hardware selection, or is it an external piece no, of software you can inside- look at? Notice inside the mix pre, you just download our free firmware. You you can go in there, go into the outputs menu, and you can access all that stuff and configure to your heart's content. So any podcasters out there who are listening and um, have been struggling to get the right thing on the right channel, they're not hearing things over Zoom or Skype, or you you do have all the flexibility there to achieve what you need. Um, if you're struggling to still achieve that, our tech support team can talk you through that they're very good with that so. this episode was edited by dead set podcasting if you want your podcast to sound this good check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services get the sound you're chasing